Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon, Bornbrook's editor, and I'm joined as always by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good. My uh, voice is now in uh, crisp and clear audio. It is. Well, just just as uh, Britain's unlock has been partially eased uh, this week, so too has Bornbrook's, how should we put it, technical capability being partially increased mm. by a third. One of our, one of our uh, hosts today, Sam, has a has a tremendous microphone, but the other two, me and Luke, still sound like we're being dragged backwards through a hedge. Um, anyway, Luke, you also are joining us today. Yes, and um, being dragged backwards through a hedge is exactly how, how I feel at the minute, because despite this re-unlocking of the economy, most of the pubs in my area are still shut, and um, those that aren't have had their beer gardens crammed out <laughs> non-stop, so... Mm. Wish I had a microphone. Mm. Opening across the country, I think, in different areas. And that's that's one of the topics we'll turn to first, Luke, with you. We've got a couple of uh, COVID topics, as always, this week. Luke, you're going to be talking about uh, the, the downplaying of the success of Britain's vaccine rollout. And Sam, you'll be talking about the, the inflation of COVID figures over the past year. But I think we'll, we'll start with the first one. Luke, what do you want to tell us about the vaccine? Hey, uh, this week, I want to talk about Boris Johnson's rather bizarre comments over the vaccine he, he sort of took a hammer blow to what can be one of the government's key achievements throughout this pandemic which is the vaccine rollout now as covid cases and its hospitalizations and deaths have been falling for some time the prime minister instead rather than um, holding up the vaccine rollout as a beacon to the rest of the world he has instead um sidelined it and declared that it is in fact been the government's lockdowns that have created these favourable conditions. And uh, this contradicts, I think, much of the scientific evidence we have seen over the last few weeks, such as other countries, such particularly the European continent, currently undergoing a third wave of the virus. And uh, the um, missing link with them is an effective vaccine rollout, because it, it's, it's been far too bureaucratic with, with the European Union. So th I think that the main question we could take from this is, um, that does the vaccine work? Because if the vaccines haven't been the cause of reduced COVID infections or deaths, that then what, what is the point? And um, a further comment Johnson made was that um, the unlocking of society, basically the high street and outdoor hospitality, will um, lead to a rise in deaths because people are coming into contact more often. And um, it, it just seems like what we've seen over the last year, and I've played that phrase to death, but um, of prime ministers justifying the previous lockdowns and paving the way for future lockdowns. And if the lockdowns are um, perfect in stopping deaths and with the downplaying of the vaccines now its only weapon, what's to stop the government from uh, doing it once more? And mm. it seems to be that with, well, prime minister, well, Boris Johnson is basically blaming that um, the unlocking of the economy for causing deaths. So it's again, once again, shifting the blame from the government onto the people who just want to live a normal life. And if the cases shoot up again, then people will be at fault. Yeah, as, as you say, in terms of laying the, the groundwork for future lockdowns, the, the furlough scheme, I believe, is, is to carry on for, for some months yet, even beyond the, uh, the end of um, some, some you know, points of easing on the, the lockdown anyway. And of course, the, the lockdown bill, the coronavirus bill, was extended not just for the period until which lockdown was supposed to end in June, but until uh, September, I believe, for, for a whole six months. So the groundwork is certainly there. 
And on the point of the vaccine, you, the, what you've just discussed is essentially the outline of an article you've written for our 18th issue, which is out this month. And I've uh, written an article also on the vaccine and on the similar topic of its uh, success, which is being questioned by the Prime Minister. Now, it seems to me there are moments in all, pe all people's minds at which they look at a government or a, a system of governing and say, that's it, they've gone absolutely bonkers. Now, we've talked about lockdowns for some time and we've written about it for even longer uh, since it came into force and before. And I think we've we've pretty all disagreed with a lot of the, the measures most of the time, believe they've been disproportionate and all this. But I finally reached the stage last week where I thought, right, they have actually lost their minds. They've gone completely bonkers. And this was when uh, Boris Johnson announced that two people who have been fully vaccinated weren't allowed to meet indoors because the vaccine isn't 100% successful. Now, it has been worked out that the risk of two people who have both been vaccinated actually passing on the virus to one another, even just one of them, is a chance of one in 400,000. Unbelievably slim, minutely slim, unfathomably slim as well. Just for context, the risk of somebody getting a blood clot from AstraZeneca just within the UK, sort of the data within the UK is one in 250,000. Now, apparently, if you extend that data to all of European data, it's one in 100,000. So massively larger than that of two people who have been vaccinated catching the virus whilst indoors, but still, of course, humongously slim. Again, for context, statisticians say that the, the likelihood of someone guessing someone's uh, last five digits of their phone number is about one in 100,000. The same as the AstraZeneca thing. Um, you know, whilst we're being told that we must carry on taking the AstraZeneca vaccine, and even young people who are at a greater risk um, have been told they they can still get it. It's just they'll receive another vaccine where possible, which in a lot of cases won't be possible since it's the main vaccine being used in Britain. <laughs> and, and one of the other alternatives soon will be Johnson and Johnson, which is being just as questioned over its link to blood clots. So we're being told still to take this. Yet we're being told that we cannot meet other people indoors once we've been fully vaccinated because of the risk, which is massively lower. It makes no sense. Completely bonkers. And, and for the government to be able to prevent people from going indoors with friends, family, loved ones because of a, a, a chance which is so slim as that just shows the amount of power that we've handed over to the state in the last year. We saw a video recently of a married couple who'd been separated for a year, meeting again because they've been moved to the same care home and people were sharing it like, oh, isn't this wonderful and inspirational? I was like, no, it's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's utterly inhuman. And I, I, it, the with, with the revolutions that, that seem to come out every single day about how the, the, the hysteria around this virus is inflated, um, we know the numbers are inflated. Purposefully. Pur purposefully. Um, the, the fact that these measures still enjoy popular support is, is utterly beyond me. Mm. Absolutely. Well, you know, what, what you just said on the, the video of this elderly couple who, who are reunited, it is, of course, touching, but it also uh, shows just how deeply immoral, I think, the government's actions have been over the last year. Horrendously so. Why is it the government's choice whether or not a couple who have been together, in this case, for, what, 60 years, maybe, always been together, been loyal by one another's side, why can the government say, actually, you're not allowed to see each other uh, for close to a year because of this public health risk? Especially, I mean, it's bad enough for people of any age. I think that's it's none of the government's business. People should be able to measure the risk 
themselves as they do all risks in all areas of life, such as when they drive a car, such as when they go to the pub as we're being told to do and have a drink. All these things can kill you, especially uh, done in enough um, in enough quantity or just at the wrong time in terms of driving the car. But people are still given the choice to do it. And, you know, when you've got old couples, in some cases, uh, though it sounds uh, bad to say it, factually close to death because of their age, nothing else, or perhaps also because of other health conditions, to say you're not allowed to see each other for close to a year and possibly in your, in your dying moments isn't just wrong or disproportionate. It's deeply immoral. It's horrendous. I've seen videos as well of, um, you know, newborn babies seeing their mother for the first time and there's a plastic sheet between them. The baby's in, the, in this, like, just sheet you know it's, it's yeah it's 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 inhuman i can't really say much more about my brother there seen all these photos where there's these family reunions and one family is just surrounded by um what those newborn babies were just the big plastic sheet and then there's arms stretching around in plastic it's so dystopian i mean all, all the captions are rather comedic saying explain this to someone in 2018 that you just look at the wider context it's just absolutely horrifying but doesn't it just absolutely blast apart the the way in which we beef ourselves i mean just what was it two three years ago we were saying what a great tremendous nation this was because of brexit we're going to leave the european union we have this power the country is one of the most commonsensical countries in the world what a load of bollocks that all is. We've got one of the worst media organisations in the world. Sure, well, actually, they've all been horrendous, so I, I don't want to compare it in, in terms of other countries, but just let's stick within our own. We have a, a horrendous media organisation which doesn't, doesn't even analyse what the government is doing, uh, never mind just state it plainly, but actually reprints the spin that the government wants to put out. Um, a democratic system uh, it, with, a, with a population which partly Peter Hitchin says because it's been dumbed down uh, just swallows all of this spin and swallows what the media tells it with no questioning uh, internally and so if an election were held tomorrow Boris Johnson I'm sure would still win despite the inhumanity he's been he and and Labour uh, and the other parties have been uh, inflicting on us over the past year. 14 point lead 14 point lead in the latest poll. Well, there you are. There you are. But, but even if even if that were the opposite and Labour were were 98 points ahead, um, you'd still think, well, hang on a minute. Why are people supporting that party, which has only said do this earlier, lock down sooner, let people see even less people? It's, it's you know, far, um, far from being a, a viable opposition party. So that's another myth. We, we have this great parliament, apparently. We must get rid of the European parliament because our own parliament is so tremendous and must be able to pass its own laws. Nonsense. It's horrendous. It's awful. It's incapable of properly governing uh, in terms of opposition and in terms of being proportionate and within measure. All and there's, and there's, there's very few parliamentarians who have a sense of duty as well. Hmm. Other than to their pockets, as we yeah, increase, no, no, no. Um, increase the, uh, yeah. Matt Hancock. Yeah, we're, we're yeah we're 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 run by careerists and the, the, those ruthless enough to climb the ladder. You know, that's that's who we get. Mm. And and the biggest problem of it all is this: this is very popular. But Boris Johnson, if if election was held tomorrow, would win the landslide. And 
as some of us have predicted, this pandemic and, and this crisis has um, beefed up the power of the Conservative Party, the party that has been, well, undermining the country more than anyone. Yeah, it's, it's, does, anyone um, does anyone else feel really, really sort of gaslit by it almost? Yeah, uh, you just look at the you look at the the mayhem and the misery being caused all around, but it's people are still people will still vote for it. Yeah, mm. it's well, it, it can't be a case of people not knowing anything better. I mean, this has only been going on for a year. I think people just go along with things generally. Um, it, you know, we always have the the extent to which the media blows up questions. I think is is question questioning and, and quite depressing actually where they say you know this is the biggest thing so on vaccine passports where we have all this stuff about you know, vaccine passports are going to be horrendous got to be stopped all that i agree with all this but if they were to pass which i believe they probably will be and i actually believe they will be in pubs as well i think the only reason they're not there now is partly because of the technology not being ready and partly because they want to sort of salami slices into into this system they want to get there slowly so it's not too much of a shock but especially if they manage to do that properly wean us in slightly 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 over months maybe over years there won't be that much resistance if people keep on saying oh surely vaccine passports will be the moment that everybody stands up and says no we're not doing that you know to which initially i think well hang on a minute even if that were the case, say the Iraq war, a million people protested against it. The Iraq war still happened, didn't stop it, uh, still had a tremendous impact, uh, horrendous as well on, uh, on the lives of many. Um, but I don't even think that that sort of rebellion would come up. I think we'd see a few pieces arguing against it in the Telegraph, along with, uh, of course, uh, pieces arguing for it, especially in the Times as well. And then the next week, the next topic will come up. We'll be distracted by the fact that Meghan Markle has worn this new dress, the colour of which clearly signifies the disrespect of the royal family, and everyone will be swept away uh, all of a sudden and forget about it. And, um, and that'll be that until maybe 50 years' time where someone goes into a pub, is demanded to see a passport, and they say no, and the legal proceedings sort of stop it from there. That's, that, I think that's probably the best we can hope for, it being turned away in 50 years' time. Well, I mean... The the election that the election campaign that was run in the end of twenty nineteen was just absolutely chock full of deception, and I was I, I did fall for it. Unfortunately, you know he he positioned himself as the you know the anti woke guy, right? I mean you know, your choices were uh, Joe Swenson or Jeremy Corbyn. He was you know he was the so, somehow he was the alternative to it, despite his party being in for nine years at that point. And, and I think they're still riding on that. They're still riding on that big, you know, that 10 p.m. on December the 12th stonking majority, you know, Corbynites crying on Twitter. Like, people are still sort of on that high and they, they haven't just seen through the utter treachery of this this, this um, government yet. Anti-woke, anti-quota, anti-identity sort of figure he was stood as. Yet the very first piece he wrote, the writing was already on the wall. We knew this would happen. He's been doing this for decades. But the writing... The first thing he wrote after becoming prime minister was a, a piece for the Spectator, in which he said, "The Conservative Party and its 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 body of MPs will be the most female, the most black, the most gay, the most this, that, the other we've ever had in our history." Which is oh, fantastic, well done. Um, but the sort of the implication was there that this wouldn't happen out of merit, but out of you know 
out of the fact that this is what is desirable in the current political climate, which is the opposite of what anti-work is supposed to be. I think on that, before we, you know, before we rage too much about uh, vaccines, myself included, perhaps there, um, another thing which has perhaps been a, a part of this whole project fear over the past year has been the inflation of um, COVID death statistics. Sam, what have you got on that for us this week? Well, this has been this has been dangled in front of our eyes from the very start. You, you can go back to any um, daily report on the on the COVID figures, the deaths particularly. They will say within twenty eight days of a positive test. Um, I mean, there are anecdotal examples of people dying of cardiac arrest or even dying in car crashes and then being put down as COVID deaths because they tested positive. Um, now, again, that's anecdotal, but. It's now believed that up to a quarter of COVID, COVID deaths weren't caused by, by coronavirus. The deceased just happened to have the virus, which, as we know, for most people is either very mild or completely without symptoms. So anyone, anyone could die for any reason, but if they had antibodies, they, they would go down in the... Um, in the COVID figures, which, I mean, now that's been blown apart, I was expecting there to be some, you know, uh, dip in public consent for all this stuff, but no, if, 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 if everything that's transpired over the last couple of months isn't going to stir up um, public disobedience, then I'm not sure what will. Yeah, well, if uh, drone spying on dog walkers last March didn't rile up the masses, I think being asked for ID at a pub will... Um, just, just go fly by, really. No, it's like, and I, 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 the pub's fine. You know? I mean, you have seen the idea pub. Like, I don't want twelve girls going in there and getting a pint. But I mean, it's it's just a complete invasion of privacy, and it's a prerequisite for being able to go into the pub. I mean, some uh, people in the, in the sector have come out and said that they won't demand vaccine passports. And I'm sorry, we're back onto this, but um, and that's encouraging. But um, hmm. yeah. I mean, th these COVID figures have been inflated fr from the start, of course, and the, the biggest proof of that was in during the winter where we didn't have a flu outbreak. Yeah. No one di no one died of, of the flu. Mm -hmm. And people put that down, all the experts put that down to um, social distancing and mask wearing, but people were still dying of COVID. So... <laughs> uh, once again, the scientific yeah. method doesn't yeah. stand up to the scientific method. Well, yeah. That's another thing, too, is that... Um... Remember when Hancock came out and said that the PCR tests are up to could be up to ninety three percent inaccurate. So the amount of you know actual infections is um, inflated too massively. And also, if you consider the fact that if the virus has just completely permeated um, the UK, then anyone who has left their house in the last year has been exposed to the virus. So the actual rate of infection is much lower than we thought it was. The death toll among the infected animal population and compared to the Reported death toll is much lower. I mean, th this virus has been in the UK since at least November 2019. Yeah. So that means it'd be ravaging the country for three, four months before the lockdowns came. And that's when the, the hysteria blew up. So imagine how, how many COVID deaths happened um, last in the, in the winter of 2019 when Boris got his landslide. Yeah. Of course, that coincided with the flu season. No one noticed it. Well, I think an interesting point as well. I've, I've not read anything on this that, that links the two but I imagine there must be some sort of linkage I mean there's there's two stories in the in the um, inflation of COVID statistics one of them is around deaths and as you said Sam uh, people who had the virus have then died and whether or not the death has been caused by the virus itself 
it's been listed as a COVID death, therefore boosting up the statistics. The other story is, as we also said, is the, uh, the sort of the failure of the PCR testing, which in, 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 in so many cases is inaccurate, and not only because of the testing itself, but also a lot of the PCR testing facilities where the tests have been returned to and have been examined and, and worked out, there have been sort of poor practices, uh, people not following certain guidelines around testing in such facilities, meaning that a lot of the tests were um, not only showing they're not wrong results, but were being accidentally tampered with to an extent that um, the, the contamination, that's what I'm looking for, that there was contamination between the tests. Now, of course, a negative test, if it came into contact with a positive test, would still come out negative. A negative can't become positive. However, what was happening is that many tests that were actually positive were being contaminated by negative tests and therefore showing as negative. So the, the, the negative rate from this was boosted massively. Now, if you link those two stories together, surely you've not only got a state where people who have COVID are dying of other things but still being listed as COVID, but also a state in which some of those people who are being listed as having COVID might not have even had COVID. So not only did they not die of COVID um, and then have it listed as COVID, but they didn't even have COVID and then died and it was listed as COVID. Now, that is something I'm sure where someone would like to put me up and say I'm wrong. Um, that's, that really was an open question whether or not that could be the case as I'm uh, neither a statistician, an epidemiologist or any of the other uh, learned things that so many uh, other respectful people are. But that, that, that surely seems to me uh, in terms of common sense to be a possibility. Well, um, I can't I can't speak for someone on the other side of the, the aisle on this, but I'll, I, I can pretend to be them for a moment. Um, you want to kill granny. Um, trust the science, you racist. As, as you said, a lot of these things have been known for a long time, but they're finally coming out. Um, but the public reaction to it is fairly quiet. And I think because the media reaction to it is fairly quiet. It's not. Yeah, the, the media has been very quiet. So when I was when I was looking for an article to read about this, I, I, searched, I, I searched UK COVID figures 25% lower than reported. And I had to go to the fifth page of news to find an actual article on that. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's been it's been buried deep in Google. Right, right. And given the Great Barrington Declaration. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Well, I think part of that might be that, you know, the media, along with the government, has for so long pursued a certain um, well, course of action in terms of the government, but pursued a certain viewpoint in terms of the media. Um, it's been revealed that this was wrong, and so it's trying to cover its back, which might be going back to the other topic, why the, the government, and Boris in particular, is uh, saying what he's currently saying about uh, vaccines and lockdowns because he wants to try and make it even more strong a case that the lockdowns do work and he's willing to sacrifice the vaccine success in order to do that uh, but there you are that's that's one approach not one that we'd like to take mm-hmm. well since sam you called me a racist for uh, opposing some of the government's draconian <laughs> COVID measures we'll go into the last story um which is about the universities now are being told that to correct students on spelling, grammar, and punctuation is elitist, and they're setting up new inclusive assessments so that um, these sorts of things aren't being criticised too strongly. Now, when I first read this, you know, it was doing the rounds on, you know, in the papers and 
flicked on social media briefly and saw it on there. People were talking about it as if it was new. Crikey, we've finally reached this stage where education has been so downgraded that we're not even correcting poor grammar and spelling and punctuation, all this. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. This isn't new at all, actually. Um, I, one of the most impressive books uh, I've read on education is Manly Phillips's All Must Have Prizes. Really, really great book. Um, very eye-opening. It's, it's not too long, but it, it has a massive breadth of... Um, of topics covered within the book it starts on education then on the national curriculum and then goes into culture and explains how a lot of the educational problems that we suffer in this country aren't just because of the classroom but because of the the home the kitchen the bedroom the living room uh, the lack of uh, interaction amongst parents the lack in some houses of certain parents altogether um, and I think you know which I mean by that um, and so I, I flick back through this book when I when I read the news and was trying to see if, if I was right, that examples still existed before, and they did. This book is from 1996, and she, of course, is covering her time as uh, writing on education for The Guardian, I think, at first, and then The Times later on, uh, over a number of years. And she talks about uh, head teachers warning their staff not to correct spelling uh, because of because of elitism, that phrase itself was brought up then as well. Um, and, and also, interestingly, there's a whole discussion which he uh, talks about the split, should I say, between creativity and knowledge. Um, and then, of course, previously, it was knowledge which was uh, put upon a pedestal in the education system. That is what the one generation needed to pass down to the next, knowledge. Um, it's sort of a grad Gandhian style in uh, Dickens' hard time. Um, and that this was replaced by creativity, where it wasn't about certain, there weren't certain things that needed to be known. That was too elitist and too, you know, old style. What people needed was creativity to be modern and, and self-expressive. Now, I'll end my ramblings on this. So I realised then that this, this actually has been going on for at least 30 years, if not 40 years. Um, it, it was an extension of the fact that we moved from a, a grammar system in which, again, what was, what was desired was knowledge to a comprehensive system in what was desired was not knowledge, but a form of social engineering, essentially, um, for everybody to be equal, egalitarian. Um, yes. What's been changed from the narrative then and now, which is a great sign, really, of, of just how uh, further down the gutter we've got in terms of our social cohesion, is that as well as being elitist, these universities are now saying that correcting students for poor grammar, punctuation, spelling, etc., uh, again, isn't just elitist, it's also racist. And I'll leave you two to, to pick up the scraps oh, on it. it. It it wouldn't be a dialogue in the early 21st century if that word didn't pop up at some point. Absolutely. Um, I'll just open by saying that it's not racist to have standards. It's racist to imply that minorities are incapable of reaching those standards. Mm. And, and yeah, and I, I'm very wary of going into the whole, you know, but they're the real race. I think that's trite nonsense. It's just, it's, it's people who are so utterly blinded by their own sanctimony that they have yeah. no self-awareness. They, they can't see how uncomfortable it makes. It makes the recipients of this, you know, what they think is being you know, a leg up. Um, it's so patronizing. It's so condescending. And it, it's, it's so just anti-factual when you look at the, um, the, attendance in what grammar schools there are left are very largely ethnic minority um especially um 
around me where, where they're still grammar schools and you know the communities like um south asian communities african communities who come to this country and they place a lot of um not necessarily pressure but uh cultural norms on their children to excel educationally and they do so this is not only uh, uh, insulting and condescending but also it's just it's just nonsense if i can read a quote then before before we go on to you luke this is this has been written by um one of the requirements added uh to the to the, the rule book by whole university whole university has said that uh, insisting there's a, you know, a need for proper writing uh, is, quote, homogenous, North European, white, male and elite. Luke, what do you have to say on that? I mean, is the, the source for this new madness, I'm going to call it madness, is this the new religion of postmodernism cementing itself. And of course, postmodernism is based on the mantra that any exercise of power, authority or discipline is inherently bad. And of course, th this is why uh, correcting your child's spelling is, is now equivalent to persecuting the Jewish people. It's like they can't distinguish bet between um, authority and um, just totalitarian horror. And it, it's it, it's very dangerous. And uh, this, uh, the second part is that um, they don't believe in universal truth, because once again, believing in a universal truth makes you on the way to genocide eventually it's complete paranoia this this is why um maths is racist because the only well the only reason why inventions have happened why humanity has decided to figure out the world is not because figuring out the world to understand it better and hopefully improve all our lives it's the sole purpose of persecuting others it's it's, it's complete paranoia. That's, that's all I can say, see, rather than stupidity. See, math is a confusing one because it could be seen as that, but also it could be seen as cultural appropriation because you know it was um, it was uh, first uh, used in the East. So uh, you, you really got to. Well, 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 they, well, they come to they come to the same conclusion. Yeah, the West yeah, yeah. using maths to persecute and oppress others. I mean, it's it's just it's almost it's almost masking our uh, our slide into utter mediocrity. Yeah. And, and um, it's like we were saying on the roundtable, Michael, this, this bizarre utopian notion that no one is allowed to be better than anyone else. Like on, on the individual level, no one's allowed to succeed. Anyone who, you know, reaches a, a and goes ahead has to be you know, pulled back, you know, pulled back into the comprehensive. You can't go to grammar school. Yeah. Well, also, in interestingly, it's not only about uh, people being better. Um, which I think could start to frame the conversation in the wrong direction, but being different. So some people are academically geared uh, and some people are uh, geared towards, uh, say, more physical work, uh, manual work or, or other uh, forms, maybe creative work as well. Um, now, when I say more geared towards, that could possibly be from birth, who knows, or maybe uh, a result of someone's upbringing or perhaps a combination of the two. But either way, people have... Uh, different capabilities on different areas and and so it, it comes to the point where the very people who stress the importance of individuality um, and breaking away from the old stale homogenous system are themselves trying to create a stale homogenous system that just happens to be new rather than old so the, the, you know the whole Blairite idea that um, all children must go to university half of students at the least 
Let's go to university was his aim, which has now been fulfilled by the, the so-called Conservative Party as of last year, um, is itself a, a stale homogenous idea. It presumes that there could be nothing uh, worth gaining within a system of apprenticeships or within people pursuing the um, the arts, by which I don't mean history and uh, and English, but you know, arts in a in a more um, musical and uh, and painting sense that that sort of type. Um, so it's it's yeah it's quite ironic in that sense that those who want to break down the homogeneity of of the old society are creating a new more dull more technocratic uh, fairly useless one as well in which we have a country which can't bloody build anything. Mm. Well, well, the the irony of that is that postmodernism is an ideology which believes solely in power relations. Yeah, and that if someone is above in the hierarchy, if if someone can write better than someone else, spell better than someone else, that's bad because that difference can you know, lead to oppression, can cause oppression, and uh, of course the solution to that, ironically, is that those at the bottom must. It's very Marxist in its thinking that the bottom order must subvert the top and become the new ruling elite. That's why, hard. Well, we can go back to cancel culture. That's why no dissent can exist against it. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that, we're talking about those who want to beckon in this new uh, hideous Marxist age. I think it, it might be fitting to turn to Black Lives Matter. Um, and Sam, you've got a, a story on this for us. We're into the miscellaneous topics now. What, what is it that you've been reading on, on, uh, on BLM this week? Yes, well, um, well, it's, it's when I first covered the story, I, I sort of found the funny side in it, you know, how... Um, someone who's um, a group that has managed to raise, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars um, in donations from the public and from, you know, the celebrity class um, have now seemingly spent that money on, you know, luxury, luxury accommodations in uh, predominantly white neighborhoods. Um, that's the funny side, but uh, once I sort of thought about it more, I saw the real sad and and pernicious side of it where again if you look at the the amount of money raised is the is there a school set up in a in a poor neighborhood is there a is there money being given to set up a a non-profit to get kids out of gangs or to get guns off the street or is there a scholarship fund or a community center where where kids can go and find you know paternal or maternal figures in their life is none of that not a penny's been spent on tangibly benefiting black people in america and this is a symptom of it this is someone this is the 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 amount that we've been bombarded with the the rhetoric of of this group over the last year if at the end of all of that they'd you know put aside this money for real good use i mean good good use not you know not um top-down change in society but you know tangible benefits for the black community i would have said fair enough but no it's you know it's 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 gone full con now and um anyone who's given money to this group in the last year should really look at themselves and what they're putting their money into it's nice house though god no. oh oh the, the <laughs> it's fantastic it's got a big lovely spoon lovely, lovely houses lovely houses <laughs> they were spent on false pretenses yeah. Good boy. Well, well, social justice is not about equality. It's a racket. Oh, it's very lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. You can make money off this. That's, that's why corporations all endorse BLM. 
Yeah, right. make, make a quick buck out of it. Yeah, they don't, don't care about quality. But it isn't. It, it isn't just you know money. It's it's social social currency as well. It's you know it's mm. um, the. I mean, if you want to if you want to figure out why wokeness is so permeated, it's because it's the it's a one way ticket to high status in, in the mainstream. You know, mm. you can be as mediocre as it gets if you are willing to say the right things. Then they'll put you front and center. Yeah, I mean the the amount of utter mediocrity right now in film and television and music and art they're not there because they're talented or they're thought-provoking they're there because of their symbolic value and the things that they say um and and the frustrating thing is that the same thing is then replicated in the the opposition to what's happening you know prime suspect lauren fox uh, lawrence fox absolutely dull boring one of those it's so had two minutes of fame on because of question time in which he questioned Megan and then thought that he was a political superstar and ranted about a load of old rubbish uh, without actually knowing very much. I think he, he got stung, didn't he? On the remember the issue where a, a film came out was it Dunkirk or something like I don't know mm-hmm. where um, there was a, a high representation of, uh, of people of an Asian background and he was saying, oh, it's ridiculous. There weren't uh, that many people uh, of this type fighting in the Second World War. Why are they showing it in the films? It's PC gone mad. And people had to point out to them, well, actually, a lot of people from across the British Empire at the time did fight for the Brits, um, and that you, you might be wise to, to place your criticism elsewhere. And he said, oh, well, I was wrong on that. But look at this PC gone mad here. Mm. And you think you're so mediocre. Um, same as some people on talk radio, unfortunately, uh, just like a little bit of a rant. And because they're anti-woke, in the same way that the pro-wokies, um, because they say something which is, anti uh, old establishment they get a quick round of applause and then move on in the same way uh, too many people on the right clap their hands at people who because they've said something once which is anti-woke uh, then believe they're great and the, the new heroes of the world and who are going to save us even though they have very little thought beyond that it's almost like the the threat posed by the the regime of woke um has made everyone outside of it so paranoid that they're just you know um, they're linking arms with everyone they can find who's you know who's facing the same way as them. And um, once you look up and down the line, you see a lot of people who you have nothing in common with. Yeah, and yeah, it is something we should be wise to is the 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 the, the low caliber of um, like I think why else did, would they push you know someone like Darren Grimes to the front center of conservatism when he's he's not. Yeah. <laughs> because he, you know he's 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 manageable and he's low caliber. There's no actual intellectual threat there to the underlying doctrine, uh, and no no real link to the movement either. I mean, look at what happened when when David Starkey got pushed under the bus. Rather than try and push the bus away, uh, <laughs> Darren sort of kept it waving on. Carry on, carry on. As long as you don't take me down, you can carry on. I don't care. Um, embarrassing and uh, and frankly, I think. Yeah. Uh, Weak will, feckless. Same, same with, same with GB News, where you know they, they've got a segment called Woke Watch or something like that, where it's, it's just, uh, you know exactly, controlled opposition. You, you know exactly yeah. what it's going to be. You know exactly. Well, that's what controlled opposition. Yeah, mm. I, I think one of the one of the latest uh, intakes has been someone who was uh, seems actually to be very much on the other side in many senses. Um, 
which is interesting that they'd be they'd be hired. But also, I think people have pointed out that you know GB News was supposed to be this uh, grand alternative to the mainstream media. Yet most of its intake has been from the BBC News, ITV News, Channel Four News, etc., etc., etc. Which, to an extent, is understandable. They need to have people from within the industry to be able to know it. But it gets to a point where you think, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> Just how, how, how different are you going to be other than the fact you've got the flag on the banner, uh, just like Boris Johnson waves the flag behind him and just like Keir Starmer wants to now wave the flag uh, as though that's supposed to be it. All right, OK, you must be patriotically British. Um, or, they're, or they're just anti-woke. I think, I think the, the right needs to get wise on the fact that it's maybe becoming a bit of a parasite in this area. It may be just surviving based purely on its anti-wokeness. Mm. Ironically, it is relying on its political enemies for survival, much, much like the the, um, the left do, because yeah, they're reliant but, on outrage and um, taking people down. And Hitchens always says, quite interestingly, that the left relies on uh, the memory of the empire, because without the empire, it'd have nothing to complain against. It always says, you know, it's, it's the empire in the 21st century, and you know, look what's happened across the world because of Britain in the past. Well, if it didn't have the past to criticise, then it'd have uh, little else, I think, to go off within its, uh, within its critique. Yeah, because otherwise you just have a modern pluralistic democracy. Yeah, well, I think we've we've challenged just how uh, just how pluralistic or democratic that might be earlier, but we won't go back into that. I think we will. Uh, on that note, we'll call it a day. I reckon. Uh, well, thank you once again for listening, and hope that you might join us again next week. And uh, the three of us will certainly be here, so listen out for that. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Bye.